This week we're starting off with the first of three where we look into the Sermon on the Mount. Um, The thing that I always have a hard time with each week is that we tend to take each little chunk of Scripture and we kind of forget what happened the week before and maybe not quite sure of what's coming up on the week ahead. And so for these next three weeks, I'm going to start you off with a little bit of a challenge. What I want you to do before you come into church is I want you to read last week's Scripture. And then this week's scripture. And then next week, I'm going to have you look at the one we did last week, today's, and then the one for that Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, I want you to do all four of those chunks together with the next one coming up so that you kind of build from the beginning of Matthew 5 and what we started with last week with uh, Matthew writing with Jesus as the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, the light in the darkness, remember? He was the light that was come into the darkness of uh, the area around the Sea of Galilee, Galilee of the nations, that region of Naphtali and Zebulun, right? And so we saw how Jesus was the light in the darkness in that space, and then he called the disciples and he preached to them, and he told them one specific thing. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Right? That's what we walked through last week. Then he showed him what that kingdom of heaven looked like as he taught in the synagogues, as he healed, as people from all around the area, from Syria and other areas, were coming in to see who this Jesus was. All the crowds are coming around, and he's healing them. He's healing the lame and the paralytic and the epileptic and those who were sick and those who were possessed. All those different things, Jesus is showing them what it means for the kingdom of heaven to be at hand. What it means for Jesus to be reigning in the creation. What does it look like? That's what we walked through last week. This week we see him start with the Sermon on the Mount. And so we see the setting, right? They're still on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. There's a mountainside up on that uh, area just north of the shoreline. There's a little bit of a hillside there. And... He sees the crowds that are around, and he goes and sits down. And his disciples go and sit with them. See, the other thing about walking through familiar texts is sometimes we start to generalize everything really quick because we know what's coming up, and we kind of rush through it a little bit. But slow down when you walk through these texts, okay? Saw all the crowds that were coming around, all the people that were in need, all the people from all over the areas were coming to see who this Jesus is. And he walks up to a hillside, he sits down, and his disciples, the ones that he just called not long ago, Simon, Andrew, James, John are the ones that are named. And they listen to him. And he starts teaching them. Now the crowds are still there. The crowds are still milling around. They want to know what's going on. But he's not necessarily proclaiming things out to where they're at. He's talking to his disciples. He's telling them what's coming up. And as that crowd's there, I'm sure some gathered around to hear a little closer. Some walked away a little bit further. But you've got to remember who Jesus is pouring into in this very moment. And there's a couple of different ways in which he speaks through this. There's some things that he starts telling them about that are here and now. There's other things that he's telling them about that are to come. Okay? So we walk through these Beatitudes, and he opens his mouth, and he teaches, and he says, Blessed 
are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, not will be, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now remember again, this is just coming off the tails of when he told them, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's what the kingdom of heaven looks like as I take care of people and I make creation right, and this is what it looks like for the creator to be amongst his creation. And now, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a whole lot more of these blessings that come out in this initial part of the Sermon on the Mount. There's a whole lot more that goes in, but that first one, that first one we have to wrestle with a little bit. Because if I were to ask you what it means to be blessed and how our culture uses the term blessed, I can guarantee you the first words out of your mouth would not be the poor in spirit or the mourning or the meek or lowly or those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You wouldn't necessarily think of that. You would usually say, when I have enough money to pay the bills at the end of the month, when I have food on the table, shelter over my head, when I have family around, when I have my health, when things are going well, that's what it means to be blessed. And it's really not that far off from the guys that Jesus was talking to. If you were to ask a Second Temple Jew during that time, what it meant to be blessed? Well, I would say the same thing. When the family's healthy, when we're around, when God is showing you know, the way that he's taking care of his people, when uh, we've got the right clothes or the good clothes to take care of us, when the uh, animals are healthy and we're able to make ends meet each day. It's pretty much the same stuff. So to hear Jesus Lay out something that is very countercultural in that moment to say, yeah, I understand what you guys think it means to be blessed, but listen to what I have to say. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That poor in spirit part always catches me because poor in spirit is certainly a good way to say it. Another good way to say it is the beggarly, the broken, the destitute, that's where we find ourselves, especially after we hear Jesus' words not long ago, right? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, repent, fine. Turn around, okay, but where do I go? If I can't keep going the direction I was going and I can't make my way closer to Christ, then I'm stuck in the middle, solitary, kind of cemented in one place with nothing to offer and nothing to give simply with open hands waiting for something. And you guys know what that looks like? Each day you walk around town, you see somebody with open hands waiting for something to be given. Or you know what it had felt like maybe at one time in life when everything is kind of stripped away, all the things you wanted, all the blessings you thought were what it meant to be blessed, all those things are stripped away and all of a sudden you're sitting there with nothing. Empty hands, waiting to be filled by someone. And as we look at who we are before our God and see who we are as repentant sinners, as ones who are standing there with nothing, we start to understand what it means to be beggarly in spirit, in need, poor. See, because it's not... You can be poor in spirit 
no matter where you're at in life. Sure, you could be monetarily destitute and have no funds whatsoever, or you could have a very beautiful house, home, family, and cars, and yet still be poor in spirit. And these are not commandments Jesus is laying out to say, hey, you need to go be more poor in spirit, you need to be more meek, you need to be more humble, you need to be all these things. That's not what he's saying. But those first four we walk through where we look at where we're poor in spirit, beggarly in spirit, where we look where we're mourning, where we look where we're meek, and where we look where we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, it's where we find ourselves when we look at our own ability of things and we look at ourselves without Christ. Without Christ, that's exactly where we're at. We are beggarly before God. We are mourning because there's nowhere for us to go. We are meek and lowly because we can't do it. We're hungering and thirsting for righteousness because we can't find it within ourselves. We can't muster up enough righteousness to bring ourselves to God. And so we find ourselves in this spot as beggars before him looking for something to pull us up out of the gutter. And here Jesus sits telling his very first disciples as they sit with him and they look at him as the Messiah, the one who is to lift Israel up and bring everything back up into order and put all of the children of God back up in the place where they belong in their minds. And he says, here's what it's going to look like for the kingdom of heaven to be at hand. For all those that are poor in spirit and beggarly, for all those that find themselves with nowhere to go before God, for all those that find themselves broken and destitute in faith and have no idea what to do because they can't bring themselves before God, everything that I do as Christ is for them. All the healing, all the stuff, all the salvation, all of the forgiveness of sins, all of what it means for Jesus to reign as king, for the kingdom of heaven to be at hand, for all of the reigning acts of God through Christ, for all the things that he does to bring his creation back in order, it's for those. It's for those that are broken and poor in spirit. It's for those who are mourning before their God. It's for you when you see where you are as a sinner before God as he looks down at you and says, yeah, but I call you a saint because of my son. The righteousness that he gives is a free gift. As you continue to walk through the Beatitudes, you start to see a turn, a change. And we start to see who we are when we're in Christ. When Christ is part of everything and reigning over everything, we start to see peace. And the peacemakers. You start to see mercy in the merciful. And you start to see things getting filled up. Because in those first four of the Beatitudes, those first four of the blessednesses, <laughs> he's pointing to the things of where we're at without him. As we look at ourselves and we see where we're broken and beggarly and destitute. And in the last four, you start to see ways in which we're actually helping people outside of ourselves. If you're full of mercy, that mercy is only good when it's given. Full of peace, that peace is only good when it's given. And all these things that are given out, and the only way that we can give them out is when they're given to us to begin with. And so to start off with broken and beggarly and destitute hands before God, 
knowing where we are as poor in spirit. And Jesus says, in the midst of that, here I am for you. Here's my peace for you. Here's my mercy for you. Here's my grace for you. Here are all the things that I have to give to you as reigning king of creation. And I'm not going to hold on to them. I'm going to fill you up with them. I'm going to pour them into your hands. I'm going to pour them into your lives. And in the moments when you think you have absolutely nothing, I'm going to remind you that you are full of my forgiveness. Because just a handful of years later, he's going to show them what it looks like to reign over things. As their Messiah gets hung on a cross, and they look at him and he said, you know, there he goes. There's the leader we followed for three years. There's the one all of our hopes dashed and gone. And then he walks out of a tomb to come give them peace. Share peace with them. Speak peace amongst them and say, my peace be with you. My whole relationship with God be with you. Everything restored back to the way it should be, that's for you. And we know that that is true because Christ did raise from the dead. We know that that is true because his promises are true. And we know that that is ours. Baptized in his name, covered in his righteousness, fed with his forgiveness, his body and blood, fed with that to strengthen us each day. As we come in on a Sunday with open and beggarly hands waiting for something to fill them up, thanks be to God that he pours himself into us, that he hands over himself so freely to you. And he gives you his grace and his mercy and his peace. And he gives you his forgiveness. Because that's what we need each day. It's not a story, but there's many things attributed to Martin Luther. Many of them he said and many of them he may not have said. But one of the things that he did have in his last days, uh, laying on a deathbed, heart issues going on, in Eiselben, and he's laying down, and they start talking to him and whatnot, and he pulls out a little slip of paper from his pocket. And that little slip of paper on it, amongst other words that may have been there, said, we are beggars. This is true. That's where we are. We come as beggars before God, knowing that we bring nothing into this, and we thank God for the grace and for the forgiveness that he hands over to you so freely in Christ. He said, this, this is for you. This forgiveness is for you. This is what it looks like for Christ to reign. So no matter where you're at in life, no matter where you think the blessings come from, no matter where any of that seems to be, in those moments where we are absolutely broken before God, and even in the times when we think we're holding it all together, he still comes to you and says, look, I know when you're poor in spirit. And you're blessed because I'm yours. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace that you give us in Christ. The forgiveness of sins that you hand out so freely because we can't do it. We thank you that into our begging hands you give yourself. Be with us as we walk from this place. Give us courage to share your words of truth, your forgiveness, your grace with those who are around us to make us peacemakers in a chaotic place. 
fill us up with your love as you send us out to share your love with those around us. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.